0: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about some more of the weirdest deaths in history. This is the third time... ...that we've gone through some of the stranger deaths from over the years. Very good to be back revisiting an old favourite topic. Uh, Long-time listeners will remember we got across 20 of the the best, I guess you could say. 20 of the weirdest or strangest or funniest deaths uh, in episodes 126 and 174. Get across them. And now we are back for 10 more. Um, I mentioned this last time in, in episode 174. I, I talked about how dying really does seem to be a, a very popular thing for, for humans to do. Most humans have done it at least once. Uh, and I was very interested to learn that uh, since the last Weirdest Deaths episode back in 2021, plenty more people have given it a try. In fact, more people have died now today than ever before in history, if you'll believe it. Even though we've been doing it for thousands of years, it is still as popular as as it ever was. Anyway, as a uh, as a uh, very, well, very amusing and, uh, and altogether very fashionable piece of merchandise uh, from a certain podcast's merch shop reminds us, half follow the link, merch on sale now, death comes for us all. But it doesn't come for us all in the same way. And today we're going to talk about 10 situations In which the Grim Reaper must have done his reaping while in a bit of a silly mood. We've got people being sawn in half and boiled alive. People bumping their heads so badly they die. People laughing to death. Even one poor person dying when she tried to hide her smoking habit from her dad. Plenty of ridiculous stories to get across today. Some classic half assed history for you to enjoy. But before we begin, I want to thank alert listeners Christy Jones, Tristan Hughes, Paul and Bree, all of whom wrote in with suggestions relating to either some of the people in this week's show or asked for more weird deaths in general. Thanks so much for getting in touch. Of course, you can too. Halfoshistory.net, contact form there. Always good to hear from the listeners. Anyway, 10 more weird deaths from history to talk about today. Let's get to it. We're going to go through these chronologically, starting all the way back in antiquity and working our way through to the 20th century. Here we go. We're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to before the Common Era, uh, for, to the world of ancient Greece for our first weird deaths. Uh, deaths plural here, I should add, two of them linked by theme. Now, laughing yourself to death, right, this is, this is something that happens. It, it's not something that happens very often. Um, uh, and I've got a piece of advice for you. If you think it is something that you might be at risk of happening to you, Uh, In order to prevent it, I recommend you head over to the Wikipedia page on death from laughter, it does exist, and have a read of what they've got there because it is about as funny as a kick between the legs. Here's a a brief sample of the very academic view that Wikipedia takes of death from laughter. (coughs) Death may result from several pathologies that deviate from benign laughter. Infarction of the palms and the medulla oblongata in the brain May cause the pseudobulbar effect. All right, nerd, go and bloody retape your glasses back together. Anyway, it's very rare to die from laughter, but it can happen, and apparently, it did happen to two notable ancient Greek blokes. Now we are talking about stuff from over two thousand years ago here, so we might need a grain or two of salt to take with these stories. But these stories have they have stood the test of time. They're still around today, and we still talk about both Zeuxis and Chrysippus today. Zeuxis. he lived in the 5th century BCE, he was a painter, very talented one, quite famous, but unfortunately his work hasn't survived. However, descriptions of it have, and they talk about how realistic his paintings were, how it made innovative use of, of light and shadow. He would paint gods and heroes and scenes and stories from myth and legend, and also boring stuff like still lifes. So actually, I want, I want to tell you about one of them before we talk about how he died. Um, at one point, right, he got stuck into a competition with another painter at the time, Parasius, right? Uh, they agreed to this challenge to, to see who would be, uh, judge the better painter. Now, I have to say, this story sounds completely made up, but I'm I'm going to tell it anyway, because it is pretty funny. But again, I don't actually think it happened. So, right, he paints some grapes, classic still life grapes. Artists seem to love them. Uh, and, and these grapes apparently were so realistic, right, that, and this is where the story you'll realise probably isn't true, so realistic that birds flew down from the sky to peck at the painting of these grapes. They were so realistic the birds came down to try to eat these, these painted grapes. So amazing, right? Wow, what a painter, what a talent. But then Parasius told Zoixus to pull back the curtain that hid his painting. And when Zoixis tried to do this, he found that the curtain was the painting. The curtain was painted. This competition directed by M. Night Shiloman. Parasius obviously won the contest. Zoixis is said to have congratulated him by saying, I have deceived the birds, but Parasius has deceived Zoixis. Anyway, probably didn't happen. But what might have happened, again, we're not 100% sure, um, it might have been Zoixis's painting right, that ended up actually killing him, so the story goes. He was commissioned by a wealthy old woman to paint Aphrodite, the beautiful goddess of love and lust, probably heard of her. But here's the thing. This old woman insisted on being the model for the painting herself, right? And, I mean, she's the one paying, so Zoixis obliged. She he, he painted this wrinkly old lady as Aphrodite, and when he was finished, he found this picture of an old woman as Aphrodite so funny that, again, the story goes, he laughed until he died. And there are people around today who still insist that laughter is the best medicine. Apparently not. It bloody killed this poor painter Zeuxis. Uh, there's another. He's not the only uh, well-known ancient Greek to die of laughter as well. Uh, the bloke I mentioned before, Chrysippus, right? Chrysippus, a philosopher, famous for his creation of a system a system of propositional logic. Very boring. Um, I mean, we can, we can, again, skip past Chrysippus. Reading about him will put you to sleep. Again, good stuff to read if you're wanting to stave off death from laughter. All his work on bloody stoic logic filled with conditional propositions and indemonstrable syllogisms. We're not getting into that. Again, might help you avoid dying from laughter. But the story goes that one day Chrysippus spotted a donkey eating some figs, right? And he found this absolutely hilarious. And then to make it even funnier, he called out to his servant to give the donkey some undiluted wine to wash down the figs with. And he found this joke that he told, he found his own joke so funny, he continued to laugh until he keeled over dead, So not only did Chrysippus die of laughter, he died laughing at his own joke, which was suggesting a fig-eating donkey be given wine. I guess you just had to be there. Our next two strange deaths are also linked. Uh, This time it's two French kings. Now, they were born around 800 years apart, but they both died in the same very strange way. I'm sure sure there are plenty of kings from throughout history who have shared causes of death, but but that's not what is weird about these two. No, it's because they both died after bumping their heads on low-hanging doorways. I'm not hugely tall, I'm 183 centimetres, but that is tall enough to have bonked my head uh, on a couple of doorways over the years, but uh, I have never bumped my head even remotely hard enough to, you know, kill me. In fact, it probably would have been more likely to kill the people who saw me bump my head while they were laughing at me. We already know from Zoixis and Chrysippus just how deadly laughter can be. Anyway, back in 882 CE, young King Louis III of West Francia, not even 20 years old, right, just a teenager, Uh, he's gone around, he's kicking asses up and down his realm, he beat the Vikings, he fought his cousin Charles the Fat, he expanded his power and his territory, and then, beloved by his people for his triumphs at a very young age, he whacked his head on a doorframe and just died. Now, there are different stories or different versions of how this happened some st- some say a horse was involved that he leapt astride a horse which charged through a doorway clocking poor louis on the head as it went through but there are other sources that say that it was just a regular doorway what he smashed his head into um, but all of these sources agree as to why he went through this doorway at such a uh, at such a fast pace he was pursuing one of the timeless pastimes of the teenage boy He was, in this case, quite literally chasing a girl. Apparently, this girl ran through the door to her home and he chased her through, well, I was going to say through the doorway, as it turns out, not through the doorway. When he went to follow her, either on horseback or on foot, he smacked his head on the doorframe so hard that it killed him. I mean, look, this adds up. No one's doubting this story. Teenage boys don't really exercise the best judgment uh, well, I was going to say when chasing girls, but at all, ever, really, they don't really use their heads, except in except in this case, I guess Louis really did use his head in an altogether very final way. Anyway, believe it or not, he's not the only French king to have died after hitting his head on a doorframe. There is another French king who died after braining himself, Charles VIII. Charles the affable, as he's known to history, what an epithet that is. Uh, Rather, I I guess. I mean, I'm sure it was appropriate. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but maybe he should have ended up as I don't know. Charles the spatially unaware. I'm not sure. Anyway, he was hurrying to. Oh, you are actually. You are never going to guess what he was hurrying to. You're never going to guess in a million years why he was in such a hurry and why he ended up killing himself by hitting a door frame. Right? He was hurrying. To, he's he's the king of France, right? He's got a million things to do. Oversee his realm, manage his subjects, rule with grace and and composure. So why was he in a hurry? Because he wanted to watch, this is not a joke, he wanted to watch a game of tennis. And he was in a great big hurry to get to this game of tennis. And as he rushed through his castle to get to where the game was to be held, he ran through the... Well, not to put too fine a point on it, he ran through a part of the castle where all the blokes would go and have a cheeky slash. So not only does this area stink of piss, the ground is wet and slippery, and Charles goes running through. No caution, wet floor sign to be seen anywhere. Occupational health and safety nightmare. And he slips over, like in an ad for a personal injury attorney, and he smashes his head against the doorframe that he was trying to try to go through. In a daze, he continued on to watch the game of tennis. He's not all there after this this huge head injury, uh, but shortly thereafter, he collapsed and he fell into a coma. And it was a coma that he never came out of. He died a few hours later and went down in history as the second as the second French king to die after bumping his head on a doorframe. Maybe that's why all the doorways in the Palace of Versailles are so tall. Our next story also involves multiple connected deaths, four of them this time. But rather than these deaths being separated by time and connected by means, as the, the last people we've heard from here... These deaths are connected by time and separated by means. All of these deaths, as wildly diverse as they are, they all took place at the same time in the same location. Have a listen to this. In 1675, four Sikhs, right, uh, members of the the religion of Sikhism, uh, there was a guru, three of his followers, these four blokes, they were all executed on the orders of the Mughal emperor Aurangzeb. And, and what's remarkable about this is the ways in which these four blokes were killed. Ways plural here, Aurangzeb didn't seem to be concerned too much with efficiency. He didn't just line up these four poor buggers and hang them. No, they all died in different ways, and we are really in for some cruel and unusual punishment here. The Sikh religion was founded in the late 15th century, and over the years, a series of gurus, essentially spiritual leaders, uh, were instrumental in developing the religion as it grew. But not everyone has been a fan of Sikhism since its founding. And in the 1670s, the Mughal Empire was was going a bit bonkers with the persecution of non-Muslims in general. And so the hammer came down on the Sikhs and specifically on the ninth Sikh guru, Guru Teg Bahadur, uh, he was arrested along with three of his followers by Matidas, by Satidas and by Dayala. Now, by Matidas and by Satidas, they were brothers and the three of them worked for the guru as, uh, as his assistants and followers. And Emperor Arangzeb was not a big fan of Guru Teg Bahadur or these other blokes at all. They're making a nuisance of themselves. They're protecting Sikhs and Hindus from persecution. And so Arangzeb says enough is enough. Arrest a lot of them and we're going to deal with them. In November 1675, Teg Bahadur was brought to Delhi and he was instructed to either prove that his religion was the true one rather than Islam by performing a miracle for all to see. And if he couldn't do this, he had a very straightforward choice. He had to either convert to Islam or be executed. Well, as a red blooded Sikh firm in his convictions and also importantly, completely unable to perform a miracle, Teg Bahadur chose death, but it was not given to him easily. Oh no, Arangzeb wanted Teg Bahadur to convert. He really did. He wanted to undermine the religious movement of Sikhism. He wanted to bring all of Teg Bahadur's followers with him in becoming Muslim. But again, Teg Bahadur point blank refused. He would not convert. And so what did Arangzeb do? Here's this bloke, this obstinate Sikh guru refusing to convert. He says, he says, listen, mate. If you're not going to convert, I, I will torture your followers to death in the most horrific ways imaginable. And Teh Bahadur goes, mate, bring it on. I don't care. And so the guru and his followers, right, they're taken out with this promise of a, of, a, of a horrific execution looming over their heads. They're taken out to a public square. Huge crowd assembled to see the action. And one by one, these three followers are killed in absolutely Horrific ways, and I guess I will warn you. If you're a bit squeamish, you might just want to skip part this bit. It really is going to get nasty. Just skip skip ahead until you hear the music, and then you'll know we're we're in the next section here. Um, Because yeah, it's 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 going to get it's going to get really rowdy. Uh, The first to die was uh, Mati Das. Right, he was tied securely between two posts, so he couldn't move. And then a huge saw was taken out, the kind that you'd use to fell a giant tree with a, with a lumberjack at each end, like a handle at each end, a massive, big, long saw, you know, several metres in length to, to saw a huge tree down. And facing the guru and with both in a state of seemingly perfect calm, Bhimati Das was then sawn in half from his head to his groin, completely bifurcated, right down the middle, gross as hell, what a way to go. I mean, at least they started with his head. Imagine it happening from the other way. Oh ugh, 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 no thank you. Anyway, this didn't knock the resolve of Teg Bahadur one little bit. He is sitting there impassive, firm in his convictions, and so next up by Dayala was brought up to be executed. But they didn't use they didn't use the same way. I mean variety is the spice of death as well as life, apparently. Baidayala was tied up with great big chains, sort of like you'd seen in a a, a cartoon, you know, when someone gets bound up like they're sort of in a a cocoon, right? So he's in this big chain cocoon. And then, after he'd been chained up, he was put into a massive cauldron that was filled with water. And I mean, you have probably already guessed what's coming up next on the menu. It is, of course, Baidayala soup, mate, the special of the day. Baidayala was born Boiled alive. And again, not a flicker on Teg Bahadur's face. Even after Dayala's body was taken out of the cauldron and roasted in a fire until it was nothing but blackened charcoal. Finally, the third follower, Satidas was taken. And he was... Wrapped up in cotton wool? Oh, okay. I mean... That's not a bad start. Great. Wrapped up in cotton wool. All right, maybe this is maybe this isn't going to be that bad. Oh no, okay, no. The cotton wool was soaked in oil and by Sati Das was then set alight and burnt to death. Chopped up, boiled and now set on fire. Aurangzeb had some very inventive and creative methods of execution here. And remember, all of these took place one after the other in front of this crowd in the square like a little buddy variety show for them. I mean, no one wants to see the same trick twice, right? Anyway, that's it, obviously, for Das, who, again, remained calm as he, you know, burnt alive, and his guru, too, remained calm, being forced to watch all of this happen. But, of course, now, up next, seeing as this torture, these horrific executions have done nothing to, to persuade him to convert to Islam... Now up next is the guru himself. He is facing execution. Uh refused to give in, refused to convert and he went to his death willingly. And just you wait until they until just you wait till you hear what they did to him. They took Teg Bahadur and they made him sit down in front of a bloke with a sword. And then I mean you you won't believe this next bit, right? The bloke, he took his sword. He raised it up into the he raised it up into the air and then get ready. He chopped Teg Bahadur's head off. Just, yeah, bit of bit, bit of a letdown. Just, uh, I mean, look, maybe Arangze was was out of ideas by then. Who knows? Maybe he just wanted it over and done with. I mean, no point dragging it out. The bloke's not going to convert. Just whack his head off and then we can all go home for dinner. Obviously, he still had a little bit to learn about showmanship here, Arangze, because, you know, everyone knows you should save the best till last for the crowd. You should have put Teg Bahadur in a cannon and shot him to the moon or something. That would, I mean, that would have, I'd watch that. That'd be good. But no, after the soaring and the boiling and the burning, it was just a commonal garden beheading here. And I wonder how Teg Bahadur felt about it. I mean, at least put some effort in, mate. I'm the guru. You've used all the good executions on the followers. Come on. Anyway, it's amazing to think how these four executions, each one of which would be notable on its own, right? The, well, I, I guess, ex- except for the fourth one. I mean, no one's writing no one's writing home about a, a beheading, especially, especially not the person who's been beheaded. Um, three of them. Absolutely bizarre, unbelievable, cruel, horrific, and would stand, as I say, on their own as one of history's weirdest deaths by themselves. But they all happened together, man. They all took place on the same day, at the same time, in the same place. And they produced four Sikh martyrs whose lives, or deaths, really, I should say, are still commemorated by Sikhs even today. On the 25th of January, 1849, young Archduchess Matilda Maria Adelgunda Alexandra of Austria was born to Archduke Albrecht Friedrich Rudolf Dominik, Duke of Teschen, and his wife, obviously a fair bit of room on the old Austrian birth certificates back then. Archduke Albrecht had big plans for his daughter, his second daughter, his third child, who was a descendant of Leopold II, the Holy Roman Emperor through him, while King Ludwig I of Bavaria was her grandpa through her mum. So she really did come from from some very high-profile European royal bloodlines. Uh, She was also, incidentally, through Ludwig I being her grandpa, she was the cousin of Ludwig II of Bavaria, episode 136, get across it. Um, But then again, actually, them being cousins isn't really that notable, because, I mean, when it comes to European royalty, who isn't a cousin of each other? Anyway... Big plans, big plans, as I say. Archduke Albrecht, he organised a marriage between her and an Italian, uh, an, an Italian prince named Umberto, who would uh, ultimately go on to become king of Italy. And the plan was to have her as his queen. Um, you really do need to go and look at pictures of Umberto. Uh, Umberto I, he had the most absurd moustache you will ever see. This thing is massive. It looks like it looks like a bad Photoshop shop. You know what it looks like? It looks like a video game cosmetic that was incorrectly scaled with the with the model of the of the character. It is absurd, right? Anyway, uh, this marriage was organised to ease tension between Austria Hungary and Italy, uh, and it would further the prestige and the glory of the Habsburg Lorraine House, right? From which uh, Matilda was uh, Matilda came. Um, by installing a a member of of theirs into another royal position in Europe. But, as you may have guessed, the marriage never came about, and for good reason. Poor Archduchess Matilda died in 1867 at the age of just 18 in circumstances that are are very tragic, I mean, very, very sad, but also, I mean, I I hesitate to say, also pretty funny. Um, Smoking Kills. We all know this by now. We all know cigarettes will kill you. Um, Despite the lies of big tobacco and their seemingly bottomless pits of lobbying money, it does seem like the good guys have won and that the world knows now that smoking is a bad habit that will be the death of you. The battle with convincing people has always been a lack of immediacy. This is what really made it hard to convince people that smoking was deadly. I mean, it's not like you light up a dart, stick it in your helmet, and that's that. You kill over dead straight away. Thanks for coming. No, it takes time. Years and years, right? The development of horrific and debilitating illnesses like emphysema, lung cancer, that sort of thing. It's very difficult to get the message across, particularly to young people, to teenagers, right, that munching durries is going to kill them because all oh, that cancer stuff, I mean, that's ages. Right? That's, I'll be old then. That's thousands of years. Who cares? Let me get on the siggies, mate. Well, In the case of this specific teenager, Archduchess Matilda, her smoking habit did kill her with a startling level of immediacy at the age, as I say, of just 18. On the 6th of June 1867, Matilda, she put on her glad rags, lovely gauze dress, she's looking fantastic, and she got ready to head out for a night on the town. She's planning to go to the theatre and have a great time out with her family and her mates. And so after she's gotten dressed and once she's ready, she pulls out her cigarettes and uh, she lights one up and, and, and she starts to smoke and went, oh no, she hears her dad coming. Now, her dad, Albrecht, was said to be very old-fashioned when it came to political affairs and his job as the inspector general of the Austro-Hungarian Army. In fact, Austria's broad failure in the First World War is due in some part to the fact that this bloke just didn't keep up with the times and make sure that Austria's army was modernised. But he certainly was well ahead of the times when it came to smoking, as he strictly forbade his kids from the Ciggies. So when Matilda hears hears him coming, right, she goes, oh, bloody hell, I don't want to get caught munching this durry and I better hide it. She quickly hides her lit cigarette behind her back, right? Close one there. Glad he didn't see Albrecht, the rest of the family, they're, they're, they're chatting away. Matilda's hiding the cigarette behind her back when all of a sudden she just bursts into flames. From the perspective of her family, who are all they're watching, it honestly looked like she had spontaneously combusted and caught on fire out of nowhere. The poor girl went up in flames so quickly and ended up being burnt so badly that she died. And at first, the family was at a complete loss. They're devastated. Obviously, it's a terrible thing. But also, they are entirely unable to explain what had actually happened and why this this young girl had just, as it seemed to them, spontaneously combusted. And it wasn't until one of her cousins dobbed poor Matilda in to her dad saying that she secretly had been a smoker and that it must have been a lit cigarette that set her highly flammable gauze dress alight. So, listen to your parents when they tell you that smoking kills because they are right in more ways than one. And if you're going to if you're going to try to sneakily smoke without your parents noticing, don't wear highly flammable clothing when you do it. Be sensible. Wear a dress Made out of something that won't catch fire, make sure you put on your finest asbestos clothing when sneaking a durry and you'll be fine. Our last weird death here is one of the most requested topics when it comes to Australian history, the death of former Australian Prime Minister Harold Holt. I really, I really can't justify a full episode on this bloke. He he was an important PM um, and his government undertook a lot of significant reforms and notable policy decisions, but like a lot of the other stuff about his career, I mean, as important as it is, particularly before he became Prime Minister, it's just a bit boring. It's just a bit dull. Um, in, in in 1966, Holt became prime minister after the retirement of Australia's longest serving PM, Sir Robert Menzies. He'd worked as a government minister for many years, but he still had big shoes to fill coming in after Menzies. And I'm happy to say that much of what Holt did actually helped to drag Australia kicking and screaming into the 20th century, even though it was, you know, the 60s. Uh, as we talked about actually briefly in 100, episode 129, get across it. Holt was a huge part of moving Australia away from the reprehensible white Australia policy, a racist immigration policy that heavily restricted non-white migrants from entering Australia. Despite being a member of Australia's Conservative Party, which is very helpfully named the Liberal Party, Holt undid much of the white Australia policy. He paved the way for a better Australia and also oversaw constitutional reform that offered some recognition to indigenous Australians. Um, And On top of that, he also took Australia out of the sterling area. Before 1966, we used to use the Australian pound, with one pound being worth 80% of a British pound or 16 shillings. Absolutely ridiculous system. He moved us away from the pound sterling. Under Holt, we moved to the decimal currency that we still use in Australia today. Although, despite what you might have heard about it, we don't call them dollary-doos. I uh, maybe missed opportunity. I, I might be open to changing it. Anyway, Holt, I have to say in the interest of fairness and balance, he wasn't all good. Uh, He aligned himself very closely with the disastrous foreign policy of US President Lyndon B. Johnson and his efforts in Vietnam. And this didn't sit well with Australians, but like it or not, our boys were conscripted, they were shipped off to Vietnam. Terrible thing. But the most remarkable thing about Holt's prime ministership was how it ended with his presumed death in late 1967. I mean, he hadn't even been PM for two years. Holt was a keen swimmer. He loved the ocean. He loved to go spearfishing off the coast in Victoria and Queensland. Greatest states in Australia, mate. Who can blame him? And in December 1967, he was down at his holiday home in Portsea on the southern coast of Victoria with some of his mates. He made them stop at Cheviot Beach, where he'd swum many, many times before, although the surf that day was very rough. And so only one of his mates, a bloke whose name was Alan Stewart, decided to come in and join him for a dip. Now, Stewart wasn't taking any chances, he stuck close to the shore and stayed safe, but Holt, who claimed to, quote, know this beach like the back of my hand, was much more confident, and so he headed out further into the waves. And before long, he was caught up in a strong rip current, which, as any beachgoing listeners will know, can be very dangerous Uh, rips are a leading cause of drowning at beaches worldwide. A rip is basically a fast moving current of water made uh, by water attempting to quickly get away from shore after being pushed, pushed there by waves and wind. It's basically like a river flowing against the waves and if you swim into one you will be dragged way out past the breaking waves. If this happens to you however You must stay calm. You don't try to swim against the rip. You swim to the side to get out of its current. Think about it like a treadmill. If you wanted to get off a treadmill, you wouldn't do that by running against it. You would just step off it to the side. And and it's the same with rips. You just swim parallel to the beach and eventually you'll exit the rip and then you can use the waves to help push you back to the shore. Swimming against it will just tire you out. You're not going to make any progress. And also, um, contrary to popular, popular belief, rips won't pull you under they just pull you out and as scary as they are i mean it is terrifying to be dragged way way out into what feels like the open ocean you will be okay if you remain calm remember to swim sideways to get out of them and and use the waves on either side of the rip to help push you back into shore didn't expect to be offering a little beach safety lesson here but you know that that is how you uh you stay safe and rip anyway halt he is out swimming out into the, in, into the rough conditions in the surf on Cheviot Beach when this rip picked him up. And despite being an experienced swimmer, the bloke's 59 years old. His doctor had recently advised him not to overexert himself. And it really does seem like this, this strong rip current got the better of him. It's not known why Holt, who, who would have known how to deal with a rip, it's not known why he drowned in the way that he did. But this rip dragged him out past the break as he was unable to make it back to shore safely And as he was ripped out of the sight of his mates on shore, they started to worry. They called the cops. Within an hour, a massive search party had begun because Holt had not re-emerged. He had not returned to the beach. Amateur divers went out into the water at Cheviot Beach to try to find him or his body. But the conditions were so rough that they too had to come back to shore. Helicopters, boats were used to scour the water in the hours after this. Eventually, police and Navy divers arrived to search as well. But bad weather hampered the search into the next couple of days, the 18th, the 19th, the 20th of December, and most most of the search efforts were scaled back in the days that followed that. The search was officially abandoned on the 5th of January. Harold Holt was sadly never seen again. Now, all the wackos, of course, put, put forward conspiracy theories. The CIA killed him because he wanted to withdraw Australia from Vietnam. He defected to China. He was picked up by one of their subs. He faked his own death to elope with a lover. All nonsense, of course. His wife actually offered the, uh, the, uh, some, some strong evidence as to why he, wasn't, he didn't abscond to China as a, as a double agent. Uh, she said that he really didn't like Chinese food. But uh, look, there's not a there's not a shred of evidence to support any of these absurd theories. It was just it was just a tragic accident that highlights the danger of rip currents when swimming in the ocean. But the best part about this story and the reason that it makes an appearance in this episode, I mean, someone drowning at sea is very sad, but it's not that weird. I mean, there are lots of people who have done this sadly over the years. Lots of people whose lives have been claimed by by the by the briny deeps. What makes this story notable and very strange is what happened after his death. Now, obviously, Harold Holt, head of government, prime minister, his death brought about memorial services and commemorations throughout not just Australia, but also throughout the world. And as you might expect, plenty of stuff in Australia is named after him. There's a suburb in Canberra called Holt. There are some fishing reserves in Victoria named after him. There's even a U.S. warship that was named in his honour, the USS Harold E. Holt. But all of that stuff that was named after him, right, of all of that stuff, nothing is funnier than a local government project that was underway in his local electorate in in the suburb of Glen Iris in Melbourne. There, out in Glen Iris, at the time of Holt's death, the local council was overseeing some renovations of a complex that was in need of a bit of work. And in the wake of his death, the Malvern City Council announced that they were renaming this complex after the late PM. A very touching move, you'd think, an appropriate way to memorialise the life of our fallen Prime Minister, whose life was so sadly snatched away as he, you know, Drowned at sea. And it was the fact that he, you know, drowned that makes the nature of the particular complex that was renamed while under renovation uh, all the funnier. Because today you can head out to High Street in Glen Iris, out on the 49 tram, and you can visit this complex, named in the wake of the disappearance and presumed death of an Australian Prime Minister To drowning, the Malvern City Council decided to name a swimming pool after the bloke, the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Centre. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. Those are 10 more of the weirdest deaths from history. I imagine we'll revisit this topic in the future because I've got a couple more up my sleeve that I do want to share with you. So if you've got some weird deaths that you think would make a good little short feature in in an episode like this, please let me know. It'd be good to hear from you. Um, we're going to go through all the boring housekeeping stuff. But again, I want to reiterate the fact that there is new merch in the shop. We mentioned this last week. Uh, there is a newly updated list of names um, with 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 pictures of famous, like woodcut engraving type pictures of famous figures from history. I'm quite proud of this merch. I think it looks fantastic. And if you have a mate named Elizabeth, if you have a a mate named, I don't know, Carl, if you have a mate whose name is Abraham or Charlemagne, (laughs) then you are going to be able to go to the the half a century merch shop and buy them what will seem like, very very personal gifts very highly personalized merchandise on offer here all sorts of stuff you can get this name and picture on you can get on t-shirts you get on mugs you get laptop cases phone cases uh magnets badges it's pretty cool at least go and have a look if there is a name that i've missed if you found like a, a a name and an image to go with it like an old type old woodcut type engraving type thing uh that would look good Uh, please let me know because i'll probably whack it up on the merch shop as well and you can buy it for yourself or for a friend um and so uh, i do want to hear your feedback and any other ideas that you might have for merch but go and have a look at the shop it it does some of the stuff looks pretty cool you know there's there's probably someone named caligula in your life who really who really could use a highly personalized mug anyway uh best place to go of course to find the merch shop history.net. click on the link uh, uh to get to the merch shop through that that uh, that's the, the the way that makes sure that the referral is it all goes through and, and i get paid for it that's the that's the best way to go there um but if you want to support the show in a different way financially you can go to patreon patreon.com history, and there <coughs> you can access to all sorts of bonus exclusive secret behind the scenes stuff uh including patreon only merch that is only available through the patreon there but even if you're, a, if you're a supporter or no, I still want to thank you. I want to thank all the people who get in touch via the contact form on the website. Thank you so much to the people who send through feedback and topic suggestions and ideas. This show would be a lot harder to do if I didn't have people in my inbox suggesting these things week in and week out. So thank you very much to them. And of course, a special thank you goes to all the people out there spreading the word of half Our History. We have more listeners than ever, and I am so grateful and so humbled that this show seems to still be on the up and up. Thank you so very, very much to all of you supporting the show in in what is, in, in, in a real way, the most important method, making sure new listeners are coming in every day. And to all those new listeners, welcome. By all means, welcome. It's so nice to hear from you, sending in those emails, saying that you're listening while you're, driving your tractor on the farm or driving to work each day or on your postal route or whatever it is, it's really lovely to hear that people are enjoying this show so very much. So thank you very much for being part of Half-House History. Anyway, that is that for another episode. We'll see you back here next week for more nonsense. Until then, of course, leaving you with a question posed on Reddit. This one comes to us from redditor peodox, who asks, If you're scared half to death twice, do you die?